Well, good morning. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. John 10. While you're turning there, let me just say what a, a joy it is to be back at Lakeview. I love this church that really is home for me. The time that I was a student here in college was the time that I was just telling Blake earlier. Um, I think I grew more in my four years as a student in the college ministry at Lakeview than at pretty much any other time in my life. And it really just means the world to me to have an opportunity to open God's word with you. Grateful to be here. Um, like Sophie mentioned, I'm a pastor of another church around the corner, and I'm here with my wife and my four kids over there. So if you hear them uh, disrupting, <laughs> just ignore them. Uh, they, they're sweet kids, and I'm grateful to be here. Uh, so John 10, I want to be in uh, verses 1 through 16. I know that Pastor Brian is preaching through John. So I decided to go well ahead of where he is. I think he's in like John 3 or something like that. So he won't get to John 10 for like, I don't know, like three years or something. And so <laughs> I've been studying through John. And so this is, this is kind of just where I am in my study. So John 10, 1 through 16. I'll read the text and then pray for us. So follow along with me. This is the word of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit says to your church. God, I rejoice uh, at the wonderful gospel testimony of Lakeview Baptist Church. Thank you for familiar faces in this room who have invested in my life. Lord, faces unfamiliar to me. Uh, but God, I pray that you would use them for your glory, that you would use the preaching of your word, the faithful teaching week in and week out by Kevin and Sophie and Pastor Brian and others who are um, stewards of this wonderful opportunity. God, I pray that you would help us to be conformed to the image of your dear son. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
so to really get at this text, I need you to understand some stuff about figurative language. I'm going to teach you just for a moment about figurative language. This might feel like a, a literature class or a, an English class. Uh, figurative language is crucial to understanding Scripture. In both the Old and the New Testament, we find figurative language all the time. And God is, is using this figurative language in his inspired word to help us to understand more about him and the things that he's made and his work in the world. So figurative language, if you want a short definition, figurative language is where, is where the meaning of the writing goes beyond the simple meaning of the words. The meaning of the writing goes beyond the simple meaning of the words. So figurative language would include some things like similes, where maybe there's two objects or realities who are compared to one another using words like like or as. The, the Bible does this all the time, Psalm 42.1. It says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants after you, O God. So as the deer, that's a simile there. You're not literally a deer. Hope you realize that. But there, there's some correlation between a deer's need for flowing and fresh water and the Christian's need of God. It's using this comparison language here. And another example is in uh, the New Testament, James 1.6. It says that the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. Again, there's this comparison here between physical and spiritual realities. And it's using this striking language of the wave of the sea to make this mental picture in your mind to drive the point home. So there's this comparison. You're like a wave of the sea if you're a doubter. Another kind of figurative language is a metaphor. A metaphor is where you describe something using the attributes of something else. So, for instance, Proverbs 18.10, that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. A righteous man runs into it and is safe. Again, a name is not literally a tower. That doesn't make sense at all. You can't take shelter in a name. But this is a kind of metaphor. It's, it's using this attribute of a tower, something that's strong and sturdy and stable, to help you to understand that Jesus and the Lord himself is the security of the soul. It's painting a mental image of, in our minds of what it means to be safe with God. Again, we see this metaphorical language in Revelation 3, uh, 16. Uh, we, we read that the church at Laodicea was neither hot nor cold, but it was lukewarm. It says, you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth, the Lord Jesus says to the church there. Again, Jesus is not literally tasting and spitting the church. It's, a, it's, a, it's metaphorical language. He's using this kind of thermal uh, description of water to convey the uselessness of the church at Laodicea because of its lack of zeal for the things of God. So there, there are lots of metaphors. There's lots of similes, lots of figurative language used all throughout Scripture, and that's not unusual to us. We do it kind of intuitively. We understand and decipher these things one other kind of figurative language that kind of sets us up for John 10 is the use of parable. So a parable is a kind of figurative language. It's a veiled figure of speech where you have these lofty ideas concealed and only understood by the wise and discerning. So frequently these parables take narrative shape. There are characters, there's plot there's kind of rising and escalating tension. There's some sort of climactic moment, and then there's some sort of resolution. These parables are used by Jesus all the time 
to communicate symbolism and deeper spiritual points than the initial words might seem to indicate. And that's exactly what's happening in John 10. In John 10, there's this beautiful but confusing parable of a shepherd and a sheepfold. And then there's some explanatory metaphors and similes that go along with it. And I want you to see from this text three main points as we kind of break this down. Three main ideas. They're really three contrasts. The first, the way of the shepherd and the way of the thief. The second, the voice of the shepherd and the voice of the stranger. And third, the leading of the shepherd and the wild of the world. We're going to go through each of those carefully this morning. The, the purpose of this way of looking at it isn't to be some you know, clever kind of literary analysis, but to reveal in this fresh way a familiar text, that the Lord Jesus Christ has tender care for his people. It's to marvel at the beauty of the gospel here in this passage of scripture and to be warned at the danger of missing out on the gospel. So first, look with me, the way of the shepherd and the way of the thief. I want you to see that in verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip down to verses 7 through 10. So verse 1, let's consider the text again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. Verse, down to verse 7 here. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So just prior to these words in John 10, we have John 9. There's Jesus. He heals the man who's born blind. This healing is a picture of salvation. The one who is physically blind is able to spiritually see. But who's there beside him? It's the Pharisees. Those who are physically able to see are spiritually blind. The Pharisees are not really thrilled about Jesus' message. They're not thrilled about Jesus' healing either. But they especially don't like being made out to be the bad guys. So they, um, they confront Jesus after this healing and they say to him, Are we blind as well? Are you saying that we're blind? And the Pharisees are, are challenging Jesus. And so this parable is part of Jesus' answer to the Pharisees after that healing miracle. And the point of Jesus' parable is this. He says, it's basically that God has his people, his sheep. And if you want to be part of God's people and receive his care and his provision and his protection, you have to do it God's way. You have to come to God the way that he has opened up to be um, given. And God's way is Jesus. And so to explain God's way, Jesus is opening up this parable, this loaded with images. And the, the image is, is grounded in this idea of a sheepfold. Think about maybe like a, a large pasture that's fenced in on all sides. And so the, the image is, um, you know, of people who want to come into the sheepfold, into this pasture, and interact with the sheep to lead them around, to move them around. Jesus says that you have to come into the sheepfold by the proper way, at the gate or at the door. Otherwise, you're an illegitimate intruder. You don't really belong there. So coming God's way, coming by Jesus, that means coming to to God by repentance and faith. It's repentance of sin and faith in Christ. That means that the kingdom of God, the sheepfold pictured here, 
is, um, is not a mixed community. There are legitimate sheep and illegitimate sheep. The kingdom of God is only those sheep. There's one way in and there's one way out. And the, the Jesus is the door. He's the gate. He's the guardian of the people. The sheepfold is for his sheep. So anyone that wants to come in and work with these sheep, they have to come through the gate. They can't jump the fence. They can't be considered a peaceful presence if they're not legitimately there by the proper way. And this is a, a picture of false teachers and leaders in the church and among the people of God. So Jesus' interaction here is with the Pharisees, and they've branded themselves as the friends of God. They've branded themselves as the experts of the law, as these uh, leading teachers, these defenders of orthodoxy, and trustworthy interpreters of Scripture. And Jesus is basically saying, if you, if you miss me, you're an illegitimate intruder. You cannot lead and teach and be among the people of God apart from Christ. And so Jesus is saying that he is the good shepherd. He is the one that's keeping watch. He's both the door and he's the shepherd. So Jesus is both the way in and he's the shepherd. He's the great shepherd of the sheep according to Hebrews chapter 13. He comes as the legitimate shepherd and overseer of your soul according to 1 Peter 2. And he commissions under shepherds pastors to be extensions of his tender care and his vigilant watchfulness over the sheep, according to 1 Peter 5. So if anyone considers himself an influencer of the church, but if that person doesn't have a proper understanding of the person and work of Christ, they're actually a thief and a robber. They may seem to have the best of intentions, but to lead the sheep of Christ in ways that are contrary to Jesus, contrary to the shepherd, is to commit treason against the cosmic king and to harm the flock. And so the church is frequently infiltrated by false teachers and false professors and uh, the self-deceived. But Jesus knows the heart here, right? He knows the heart. He knows who are his genuine sheep. So... There are thieves and robbers and false teachers. They're inspired by the devil, who is the captain of falsehood, and who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This is a legitimate danger, my friends. There is danger literally all around you. Legitimate danger all the time. There's physical dangers that can be totally obvious. We live at risk at all time. Always at risk. Every time you get in the car... Every time you go to a sports event, even coming to church, going to school, you're, you're risking your physical safety in some way. It's a calculated risk. It may not be a very significant risk, but it's a risk nonetheless. Even staying at home, there are things that could happen to you. You don't know. There are dangers that can be more subtle than you realize. There, but, and there are spiritual dangers that are, could be ultimately harmful to your soul. We need to keep vigilant watch. There are false teachers and deceivers who would seek to lead you away from Christ. And Jesus says these people are thieves and robbers and liars and they're following the devil who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. There's there's an enemy. There's a devil. Satan is is a legitimate person and he's a, a, a spiritual enemy to the people of God. He seeks to steal you away from the community of the kingdom of Christ through the slippery slope of deception. He's seeking to kill you. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to rob you of assurance. He wants to destroy your soul. What a terrifying prospect that is. How can any one of us sleep at night 
knowing that there's this kind of danger in the world? How can any of us rest our head even for a moment knowing that there is this kind of peril to our physical bodies and to our immortal souls? Our hearts are fickle and weak-willed and we don't always see things the way that we think we do with clarity that we think we see. We don't know ourselves and our motivations and intentions the way we might think we would. We're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There's danger in our own hearts. There's danger outside of us. How could you possibly not live in this perpetually tightening knot of anxiety with dangers like this around you? And I'll tell you why you would not live in this perpetually tightening knot of anxiety. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the comfort of assurance that we need. He is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus has plotted the way and is watching over us. He has plotted the way to navigate life in this fallen world. He has subdued all of our enemies under the foot of his cross. He has quenched the flaming darts of the enemy by his own poured out blood. He's watching over us. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. For the soul that's kept in Jesus, all of these dangers around you can ultimately overwhelm you. He says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We have every reason to be confident and assured to have no fear as long as Jesus is watching over us. He has pledged himself to our safety as our good shepherd. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life that Jesus intends to give to his people is infinitely superior than any danger that could ever beset or intimidate the people of God. There is every reason to fear if Jesus is not our shepherd. But we are assured by the words of the most famous psalm in the whole Bible, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. In a world that's dead and dying, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. We're not like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We are those that are led by the shepherd to still waters. He restores my soul. There's an enemy that would seek to assault and steal and kill and destroy my soul. But Jesus restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because our shepherd has already walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And he didn't make it through. He really died. And then he triumphed over death in his resurrection. And so he can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we have no reason to fear being swallowed up and not making it through the valley. We'll fear no evil for, for you are with me. Jesus, the good shepherd, is with us. His rod and staff, they comfort us. The means of grace. Church discipline. Spiritual disciplines, God's word, prayer. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for, before me in the presence of my enemies. With enemies all around, with dangers on every side, Jesus sets up a feast in the presence of our enemies. The Lord's Supper. To remind us of his presence and his goodness to us. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. Instead of fear and anxiety and worry and suspicion and doubt and death and dread of condemnation following you all the days of your life, goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So to walk in the way of the good shepherd 
is to walk beside still waters, paths of righteousness and courage. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's prepared a table for us. Isaiah makes a similar kind of point. It says that he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arms. A stranger they will not follow. He will carry his lambs in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. It's this extraordinary personal connection to the Savior. So there's a way of the, of the shepherd and there's a way of the thief. Look with me secondly and consider the voice of the shepherd and the voice of a stranger. The voice of the shepherd and the voice of a stranger. Verses 3 through 6. Let's read it again. Verse 3. The, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice. Isn't that incredible to consider? If you are a follower of Christ, you hear the voice of Jesus. And I'm not necessarily thinking audibly. We're talking about in in, in God's word. The most stubborn and strong-willed among us, we hear Jesus' voice. His voice gets through all of our character defects and it resonates in the heart of every one of his people, every one of his sheep, those who might be intellectually dull. That's no obstacle for Jesus. He overcomes our weak understanding and he overcomes other kinds of debilities or simplicities that might keep us from hearing and understanding other people. The shepherd's voice penetrates our cognitive weaknesses and resonates in the soul. And even those of us who have weak consciences and those who frequently stumble and fall into all kinds of sins that are so painfully obvious, the shepherd's voice penetrates even through the seared consciences, the sorry and seared consciences of his imperfect disciples. And his sheep hear his voice. They hear his voice. But what is it that they hear in that voice? It's not condemnation. We'd have every right to expect to hear that. It is, it's not judgment for why they're not better hearers. But it says here that they hear their own name. Hear your own name from the voice of the shepherd who loves you. The Lord Jesus calls each and every one of his sheep by their own name. And he leads them out of trouble. So theologically, we would say this happens in the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, brings about the work of regeneration. The voice of Jesus pierces into the depraved soul and brings new life, takes out a heart of stone, gives a heart of flesh that's receptive to the things of the Spirit. This means that God's particular people, Christ's sheep, are called by name by the Holy Spirit unto new life. The shepherd doesn't just wander through the fields of the world calling out for any old sheep. It's not, you know, here, sheep, 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 come to the sound of my voice. It's not that kind of call. This is the effectual call. It's not, Lassie, come home. It's Lazarus, come forth. It's, it's, the, it's the Holy Spirit ensuring the work of God getting done in the hearts of his people. The Holy Spirit ensures it. But it's even more beautiful than that. Look at verse 4. 
When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and his sheep follow him, and they know his voice. What a precious verse, verse 4 is to us. I want you you to see with me just a handful of things here in verse 4. First, Jesus is going to gather all of his own people. He's going to gather them in. It's a promise. Not one of his sheep is going to be lost. All who the Father gives to him will come to him, and all who come to him he'll never cast out. John 6 says, it's a promise from Jesus to your soul. If you're Jesus' sheep, he's going to get you. Second, it says he goes before them. The shepherd goes before the sheep, leading the way, discerning the best routes, blazing a trail. Jesus is the good shepherd here. Uh, but how, how willing is he actually able to go for us? What would he actually do for us? He goes before us, but how far? The answer is all the way to the grave. He went all the way to death for us. This is the glory of Christ's incarnate life. He really does identify with us fully in his incarnation and his birth and his life and even his death. He goes all the way before us to the grave so that he might go out before us into resurrection glory. Third, I want you to see that the sheep follow him. The sheep follow Jesus. It's a simple statement of fact. Jesus is a shepherd and he has sheep and Jesus's sheep follow their true shepherd through the dangers and the blessings of this world. And just as surely as Jesus has gone before us to glory, he will most assuredly lead us there with him. We will be with him. We will follow him all the way home. Fourth, and lastly here, uh, I want you to see the reason why Jesus's sheep follow him. It's because they hear and they know his voice. They hear and they know his voice. There's a knowing, this kind of continual hearing throughout the Christian life, the subjective recognition of that voice that moves the sheep to respond. So this isn't some robotic, mechanistic fatalism. It's the sovereign power of God in the calling of the Holy Spirit to his sheep. It's the, it's, then it's also their knowing and recognizing and volitional following after that voice that they hear and recognize. This is God's sovereign call and man's responsible uh, receptivity and obedience and faith. It's all pictured here. That leads us to verse 5. Look with me. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Why don't Christ's sheep follow strangers? It's because it's a foreign voice. We don't know that voice. We don't know that voice because our ears are attuned to the voice of Jesus. And where do we hear the voice of Jesus? It's in his word. It's in Holy Scripture. When false teachers come, these strangers and thieves and robbers, when they speak in languages and doctrines that we do not recognize... Languages and doctrines that are contrary to the Bible. This is how we know that it's not the voice of Jesus that we're hearing. You have to know the word so that you can discern the voice. So we will not follow these unfamiliar foreign voices. But instead, we'll flee from them. Flee from them. We will not linger to engage the voice of strangers. We will not try to win them or persuade them. But we'll flee from them. There's a time and a place for apologetics and polemics and evangelizing non-Christians, certainly, and debating an opponent in the faith. Sure, there's a place for that. But it's only from a firm foundation of sound doctrine 
which maybe to use the image of this parable, it's we, we can only really engage contrary voices when we have a very well-trained ear to the voice of Jesus. And I'm concerned that there are a lot of people in churches today who have far too high an, uh, an assessment of themselves and their ability to discern false voices, strangers' voices, truth from error. There, there's a kind of pride that says, this may corrupt other people, but not me. This may mess with other people's conceptions of reality and faith, but it, not me. I'm, I'm able to do that. Others may be, not be able to do this, but I can. My friends, you really cannot be too careful about your hearing, what you fill your ears with. It is better to go ignorant of the worldly philosophies of the day into the kingdom of heaven than to be the most culturally savvy and trendy and knowledgeable person in hell. We should do more fleeing from the voices of strangers than we do. And that's what Jesus is saying here. But what about, what about witnessing the lost people? That's obviously super important. Uh, what about apologetics? What about evangelism? Of course, we're called to do that. The Apostle Paul uh, says that the way we do that is not by echoing the voice of the world. It's not by imitating the voice of strangers but it's by presenting Christianity in its full truth. It's not by presenting Christianity as some baptized form of whatever's trendy and happening in the world. It's not some, you know, cheesy, like rated G alternative to whatever everybody else likes. It is the truth of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2 says it this way, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He could have wrangled with them. He could have gone there with them. He could have appealed to them, to, to their cultural sensibility and sophistication, the cultural elite. He could have done that. But He doesn't. There are some who fill their ears with the voices of strangers, thinking that they're being faithful witnesses, when in fact they're being catechized. They're being discipled into the ways of thievery and robbing and killing and destroying. My friends, not every Christian is called to grapple with the voices of strangers. And no Christian is called to discern the voice of strangers apart from the community of faith outside the sheepfold. And that's why God gives pastors to the church to help you. To help you know when to engage. What voices are the voices of strangers? And, what, and, and how to have your ears attuned to the voice of Jesus. Third, I want you to see with me that so we're, we're not listening to the voices of strangers. We're fleeing from them. We're hearing the voice of Jesus. Third, lastly here, the leading of the shepherd in the wild of the world. Look at verse 4 and then verses 11 through 16. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Then down to verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and leaves the sheep, and flees, and the wolf snatches them, and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them in also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus does not leave us alone. That's the point. If you get nothing else out of this whole thing this morning, I hope that you'll get that. Jesus himself is with you as a good shepherd, and that changes everything. Because when the good shepherd is with you, there really is no need to fear. It's a crazy world out there, but if Jesus is our shepherd, there's no reason ultimately to fear. The world outside is scary. There's legitimate things out there to be fearful of. But there's nothing to fear when Jesus has promised his presence. We're never, ever, ever in danger, really, when we're with Jesus. So here in verse 11, we see this picture of Jesus' love. It's not some kind of squishy concept. um, But really, it's his goodness committed to his people. The primary evidence of Jesus' love for his sheep is that he lays down his life for his sheep. Twice he says it here, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says there are hired hands. What he means by that, there's other preachers and teachers and leaders and influencers out there that they may seem to care about that for a moment. They might seem to care about you for a moment. But whenever there comes a time where they can't benefit from you anymore, they're going to leave you alone and they're going to allow a wolf to devour you. They don't really care for you. But Jesus always will. Jesus always will. He says in verse 14 that he knows all who are his and they know him. There's a, there's a kind of personal connection between the shepherd and the sheep. It's not just this general or vague association. You're not a random face in the crowd to Jesus. You're never a visitor with Jesus. He doesn't just love Christians generally, and you just happen to be one, so he's just, you know, he's okay with you just being part of the group. That's not how Jesus works. You don't just get some general collective benefit by being a member of a general group. That is not covenanted Christianity. It says here, he knows your name and you know him. Just as the son knows the father and the father knows the son. There's an intimate knowledge. There's a familial loyalty. And there's a vital union in our connection to the shepherd. So verse 16 shows us just how vast the love of Christ is. It might be easy to to grow content with just being in a close-knit group. Maybe there's a lot of familiarity around these tables. Some common cultural expressions or cultural sensibilities or political views or opinions about the world and ways of doing things. But Jesus says that he has sheep that are not of this fold. Jesus' love is way bigger than what can be put together and associated according to the wisdom of the flesh. In this context, when Jesus says he's got sheep that are not of this fold, he's speaking as a Jewish man to a Jewish audience. John, the gospel writer, is a Jewish man. And so he's referring to the Gentiles here. So he's, he's contradicting everything that the Jews would have expected the Messiah to say. He says that he's not just the Savior of the Jews, not even the faithful remnant of Jews, whatever. He's saying it's Gentiles as well. In John's book of Revelation, his other book that he wrote, we see that his, his sheep are not of this fold. And there it's, uh, it's 
his sheep comprise faces from every tribe and language and people and nation. His love is so much bigger and greater than we might initially think. He says that he's got to bring them in also. And they're going to listen to his voice. And there's going to be one united flock under the one shepherd's care. And that united flock is the invisible church, the universal church throughout all time and space. And one day, they'll finally all be assembled in the age to come under the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he must bring them in also. But how? How is Jesus going to bring them in? This is exactly what the Apostle Paul is wrestling with in Romans 10. Why don't you turn there? Romans 10, verses 9 through 15. I'll give you just a moment. Romans 10, verses 9 through 15. Paul is wrestling. How is Jesus going to bring his other sheep in? How will his voice reach those people? How will they hear his voice? Here's what Paul says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Hear that? He's got sheep that are not of this fold. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. You catch that? Who hear his voice and call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Again, the voice of the shepherd they're hearing. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the way the voice of Jesus reaches those sheep who are not of this fold is through faithful Christians being the messengers of his grace. Now that could be across the world in an international missions context, totally. But I think for most people, it's not so much across the world as it is across the street or across the hall or across the dinner table. You are called, every single Christian is called to be a, an echo of the voice of Jesus to a lost and dying world. He's got sheep who are not of this fold. If you're one of Christ's sheep, God is going to use you, he will use you to extend the voice of Jesus to others of his sheep. And we don't know who they are. We don't know who all of his sheep are, so we speak the words of Jesus to anyone and everyone. We speak the message of salvation and instruction and sound doctrine, the words of Holy Scripture to all we can. We give sacrificially to facilitate this work in other places. We give sacrificially of our time and effort in our own community, all the way to the ends of the earth. And we even consider whether God might personally call us to go and take this message to places where the gospel, where the voice of Jesus is unknown and unheard and unloved. So because we believe that Jesus has sheep that are not of this fold, we have to gather them in. Jesus is gathering them in. He's using us to do it. He's using us as means, as instruments in his hands. We believe he uses his church as his primary means of drawing his sheep in, gathering in all of his people. So my, my intention isn't to make anybody feel guilty 
for ways you might not have done this. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. My purpose is to help you to see that we do have the very best news that anyone could possibly ever hear. There are people out there that so desperately need it, even if they don't necessarily believe that they need it. They don't know that they need it. So it's worth our finite sacrifices of time and money, even our lives, because in God's economy, he considered it worth the sacrifice of his own son. This is the end for which God created the world. This is the purpose of your life, to calibrate every fiber of your being to the voice of Jesus, the good shepherd, and to help others to do the same. That's going to look different in each one of your callings, and that's totally, totally fine. Jesus died so that he might bring in all of his sheep. First Peter puts it this way, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Catch this, for you were straying like sheep, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. First Peter 2. So this kind of figurative language, this parable, this metaphor, this simile, this isn't some kind of postmodern literary imposition on the text of Scripture. Instead, it's the way the Bible uses images and narrative to make the unfamiliar familiar and, the, and to make the familiar freshly relevant to us. This shepherding image is meant to take us deeper into the mind of God, to make the love of Christ more precious to our souls, and to comfort us in distress. The shepherd is with you and watching over you. And with, with Christ as our shepherd, we can say with the psalmist, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of our lives, until we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you grateful for your word. God, I pray that you would plant your word deep in our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to listen and hear the voice of the shepherd this morning. Would you guard us from the voices of strangers? God, we thank you for churches and preachers and teachers and other kinds of um, friends and connections and mentors and discipleship relationships where you use your means to accomplish your great ends and purposes in our lives. God, we pray that you'd help us to be filled with gratitude for the opportunities that we have even this morning to hear the voice of the, sh of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless Pastor Brian as he preaches uh, in, the, in the moments to come. God, I pray that every Lakeview church member would be attuned to the voice of the, of the Good Shepherd, the Lord Jesus, through his faithful preaching ministry here. And God, we pray that you would bless the discussion around the tables in Christ's name. Amen.